together. You know, it's interesting. Uh, Jesus said a couple things in John 10, 10. He said, I came that you might have life and life abundantly. It's like a pretty good life. And then six chapters later, he said, but let me tell you something. In this world, you will have trouble. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. So it's like, you're going to have an abundant life in me, and you will have trouble. And so we're, we're going to talk about that. One of the questions I, I wanted to ask right off the bat is kind of a personal one. And that is this morning as you sit here, how, how fulfilled are you? You know, if, if you turn that word fulfilled around, it's a good way to, to think about what it means. Uh, are you filled full? And you can think through, you know, just, just scroll through your life. I mean, how, how is your marriage? How are you, your children, your, your, your health, your finances, your job, friendships, extended family? As you just scroll through your life, you know, how fulfilled are you? Or do you feel like there's something missing, that something's not quite right? There's got to be more to life than you're experiencing. We're going to talk about that this morning. And my goal this morning is to, is to help us get a realistic perspective on life. And so we're going to go to chapter 6. This is like one of the most depressing chapters in the Bible. <clears throat> so glad you came, huh? <laughs> but we're going to try and redeem it. We, we, uh, you know, God redeems everything. And so, you know, this is good to see because chapter 6 is about a guy who had it all, had all the money he could ever want, all the power, everything, and he's reflecting in terms of life without God. So if you're here this morning and, and God is not central in your life, you don't know God, you, you know that He maybe exists out there somewhere, but you're not sure if you have any involvement in your life and, and it's not a personal God to you, then then you might relate to some of this. If you're not right now, at some point in your life, you will. And so, for those of us who know God and have a personal relationship with Him, we, we get to experience something above and beyond chapter 6. But I'm, I'm going to talk this morning about the fact that there's a piece of Ecclesiastes 6 that whether you, whether you know God or not, that you have to deal with in your life. And so, just going to walk through this, and then there's, there's three application points we're going to make. So, we'll just walk through it verse by verse. I'll make just a few comments, and then I'd like to spend most of our time on how we can apply this. Here's Solomon. He says, I've seen another evil under the sun, and it weighs heavily upon men. He's been going through this book talking about all kinds of things that are so discouraging. He's pursuing all kinds of roads in life, everything from pleasure to wisdom to wine to women to every... He pursues it all, and now he says, okay, here's another one. And here's what it is. God gives a man wealth, possessions, and honor so that he lacks nothing his heart desires, but God does not enable him to enjoy them. And a stranger enjoys them instead. This is a meaningless, grievous evil. So he's talking here about wealth and, and all the stuff that we have. Now, if, if, you, if I 
gave you a little survey today, and I, I, you were checking things. The first question said, uh, am I wealthy? How many of you would check the box? Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> Some of you know what I'm going to say. So. Just a handful. <clears throat> do, you know that, do you know if you make $10,000 a year, you're in the top 15%, the wealthiest people in the world? If you make the average mean income in Marathon County at 39000 you are you're in the top point six tenths of 1% of the wealthiest people in the world. And so, in this room are all wealthy. Hard, hard to... The reason we don't feel wealthy is because we have a certain standard of living. So in a couple of weeks, we're going to go to Ukraine, and there'll be a crowd there, and probably about 2% of the people will drive cars because... 98% of the people don't own a car. And so, you know, we get, we get used to a standard. And, and then we compare ourselves, and so we... And, and you know what? The, the higher the standard, it just... You know, our, our, our standard of living just kind of keeps going up. So, you know, we are, we are wealthy people. And so we have this challenge in that, you know, our, our wealth does not... It doesn't satisfy, and Solomon here is so mindful of the fact that he has all this stuff, and he's going to lose it all. The more you have, the more you understand you have to lose. And so he's, he's identifying that, that truth here. And then he goes into like a real pity party. It's, it's really bad. So listen to this. He says, a man... A man may have a hundred children and live many years. By the way, that was, that was a sign of blessing in the Hebrew world. If you had lots of kids and you lived a long life and you had lots of stuff, you were, that was a sign of, of blessing. But Solomon challenges that. He says, if a man has a hundred children and lives many years, yet no matter how long he lives, if he can't enjoy his prosperity and does not receive proper burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. It comes without meaning, it departs in darkness, it's darkness, its name is shrouded. Though it never saw the sun or knew anything, it has more rest than does that man. Even if he lives a thousand years twice over but fails to enjoy his prosperity, do not all go to the same place. So he's saying, whether you live 2,000 years or whether you never make it out of the womb... Solomon says, I'm not, sh- I'm not so sure the, the child that doesn't make it out of the womb is any worse off than, than those who live out this previous meaningless life on the face of this earth. So that's, that's what he's experiencing in his life under the sun uh, without, without God. He says, all man's efforts are for his mouth. His appetite is never satisfied. What advantage has a wise man over a fool? What does a poor man gain by knowing how to conduct himself with with affairs? Better what the eye sees than the roving of the appetite. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. It's like we have these appetites and it's, it's never enough. It's like, you know, if you've been eating, I don't know if you ever noticed this, but if you've been eating a lot of sugar or something and then... You have a meal with no sugar, and you're just like stuffed, but you're still wanting something, right? You're still craving something, even though you're full. Solomon says, you know what? I'm like, I'm like so wealthy, I'm filthy rich. I, I, am, I have all this stuff, but the, there's something that's missing in his life. 
And then he concludes with verses 10 to 12. And this is kind of a, this kind of a reflection on, on what he's just talked about. He said, whatever exists has already been named. And what man is has been, has been known. No man can contend with the one who is stronger than he. The more the words, the less the meaning. And how does that profit anyone? For who knows what is good for a man in life during the few and meaningless days he passes through like a shadow? Who can tell him what will happen under the sun after he's gone? And so Solomon here is, is he's basically saying, first of all, it doesn't do any good to complain. Because who can contend with God? I mean, what's going to happen in your life will, will happen. You, you can't control those things of life. We certainly can't control our, our destiny that one day we all die and leave it all behind. And so he says, you know, we, we can't contend with one who's stronger than, than we are. And, and secondly, he says, and who really knows what we need in this life? <clears throat> who really knows what's good for a man in this life? And so that's chapter 6. And there's not much to uh, smile about in, in, in Solomon's reflection here on life. And so I want to I talk about this. And, you know, if, if you're here today without God in your life, if, if you don't know God through Christ today, then really this is, a, this is a, a very real snapshot of life because one day, and it can, it can happen really fast, it's all gone. Everything. And without Christ, without, without God, we, ha- we have nothing at that point. But for those who, uh, for those who, who live life with, with God at the center of their life, we, we still have to listen to Jesus' words when he says, you know what, in this world, I mean, I'm going to give you abundant life, but in this world, you're going to have trouble. You will have trouble. You will experience some of this of, of chapter 6. And so, I want to talk this morning, and the point I want to make is, I want to talk about the difficulties that we all have in our lives, past, present, and the future ones that you're going to face. Now, some of you today are in really good seasons of your life. Some of you are in really good seasons. Others are in very difficult seasons. Wherever you are, if you're not in a hard season, you will be at some point, and, and you'll be asking these questions. And so, here's the first of, of three points I would like to make. Number one, <clears throat> This reality about life that, that Solomon's talking about, the, the difficulty of life and, and some of that meaningless that appears to be there, that reality is, is meant to point you to Jesus. It's meant to point you to Jesus. Now, here's a testimony that I have never heard. It's, there's probably one out there like this, but I've never heard one like this. You know, I had a great summer. I got, I got my dream job. And, uh, you know, I, I met this really nice gal. And it, it looks like things may, may go somewhere. And my finances are great. I got all my credit cards paid off. I'm out of debt. I, if you can believe this, I won a Powerball, 25000 bought a brand new car. 
I was a part of a community soccer league and softball league. We won both of our tournaments, and I'm, I'm just feeling great. And so I decided to give my life to Christ. I've never heard a testimony like that, ever. Now, it's probably happened, but here's a testimony I've heard. Yeah, you know what? This is the worst summer of my life. I had a job lined up, and then it fell through. Uh, you know, I met this gal, and I thought this was it, and then she just left, walked up, and, and, and walked out. My finances, I, I smashed up the car, and I didn't have collision on it and told it out, so I lost that. And, you know, I was playing, I was getting ready for the championship softball game, and I tore my ACL. And let me tell you, it's, it's been a nightmare. And I'm, I'm sitting at McDonald's in the, the play area with my <coughs> nephew there, and these people walk in with these bracelets on. Some of you have met those people, right? Said, hey, can we pray for you? Man, could you pray for me? My life has been the pits. And, and the, that's, that's the fertile ground, isn't it? I mean, that, that's the fertile ground. When, when life's working for us, we tend to just rely on life. When life's not working, we tend to have to look somewhere else. The hard realities of life are intended by God to turn us that way. When sin came into the world, there was a problem. When sin came into the world, every person born since then is born with a sin nature under, under the condemnation, under the wrath of God. The Bible says we're, we're dead in our transgressions and sins. And so the curse came upon the earth. And the curse is still upon the earth. We, we still have, I mean, just look at Texas. I mean, look at, look at some of the disasters of nature and, and just all of the problems in our world and, you know, it, it affected everything. And God leaves it that way. And he leaves it that way because it is a consequence. It is a reminder of something. It is a reminder that we have been separated from God from our sin, that, that life is not working And so this is the curse, really, chapter 6, Solomon's talking about, you know, the curse, but it has a purpose. It has a purpose in our lives. You know, the Bible says that the law does the same thing for us. And, you know, the Ten Commandments. A lot of people think that the reason God gave us Ten Commandments was so that we could keep them. And... The scripture tells us that the reason we were given the Ten Commandments is to show us that we can't keep them. And so the purpose of failing at keeping the law is intended to drive us somewhere, and and that somewhere, well, listen to Galatians chapter 3, and uh, let me just read for you where that is intended. 3.24, it says, So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Not by keeping the law, but by faith. And so, our frustration with the law was intended to move us to Christ. Our frustration in this world and with the meaningless of things of this world is intended to move us 
to look beyond this world to, to what God is offering us in Christ. So, the first point is this. This reality is intended to point us to Jesus. Once we're there, we still have trouble in this world. And so once we're there, secondly, this reality draws us into life with Jesus. It draws us into life with Jesus. Now, for many, many people make a decision about Christ, and they enter into this life, and often, this just happens often, people, things will go okay for a while, but then things start going wrong. And there's kind of this perception that now that I've given my life to God, you know, my life's going to get a lot better. And in a lot of ways it does, but in some ways it often doesn't. And it doesn't mean that we're immune from problems and difficulties and, and things still come into our lives. And when that happens, we start going, you know what? What's wrong? Why isn't God protecting me? Why, you know, now there's this problem and why do I have to go through this problem? I thought that's why I, I came to the Lord, so he would take away my problems. So here's the truth about Christ's compassion. The Bible makes it very clear that Christ is very compassionate. In fact, Jesus Christ came here and went through everything we did so that he could be compassionate. Jesus knows what it's like to be single all his life. Jesus knows what it's like not to have children. Jesus knows what it's like to be very, very poor. He knows what it's like to live hand to mouth. He knows what it's like to be hungry and tired. He knows what it's like to be rejected and to be misunderstood and uh, he knows what it's like to suffer and, and to die. He, he experienced all of life, and the Bible says the reason he did that was so that he could, be, he could be a compassionate, sympathetic high priest. So whatever you're going through right now, Jesus is at the hand of the Father, and he, he knows what you're going through. He says, I was there. I, I lived out that life upon that earth. I know how difficult it can be. And so he lives to intercede for us. He, he is compassionate. And so here's the truth I learned. It was in a book. It was entitled, I think it was The Compassion of Christ. It was one of those aha moments for me. I don't remember anything else in the book, but I remember this line. And I think this is just so important. This was the line. The reality of Christ's compassion for us is not that he takes the difficulties away, but that he walks through them with us. Because sometimes we have struggles and we're asking God to take them away and he doesn't. We think he doesn't care. And what God is saying, look, I care. I, I want to walk through this with you. I want to walk through this with you. And, and as we do that, something, something happens in our life. I asked uh, Cindy if I could just share a little piece of her story. <clears throat> Maybe you know she wrestled with cancer for over two years, chemotherapy. Uh, people prayed, we prayed, and nothing happened. You know, God heals, and, and we need to pray for people. We also need to understand that God uses all kinds of difficulties in our lives for his purposes. Even Paul. What a man of God. 
There was something in his life he, he prayed about, and God said, nope, it's not going away. I have a purpose for this in your life. And so Cindy's here for two years struggling with this, and uh, <clears throat> you know, after, after two years, God miraculously heals her. This, if you've never heard her story, she'll, you'll have to ask her. It was probably the most amazing story of, of healing that I've, I've, ever, I've ever seen. And so, she, her, and her oncologist was an atheist. And so, uh, in fact, the, the morning she came in and everything was gone, cancer of her stomach, liver, kidneys, and it was all gone, uh, he didn't have much to say. And uh, I remember Cindy saying, I asked him, so what do you think of my God now? I'm going to have to give this one to you. A few weeks later, she was, and this is, this is the point I want to make. A few weeks later, she was in the, uh, she'd gotten, been sick and gotten dehydrated. She was getting some fluids, and her oncologist came down for about 45 minutes and just talked with her. Now, these guys are busy. 45 minutes, just sat and visited with her. At the end of the time, he said, so I have a question for you. Why is it that this God, who you say loves you so much, why would he, I have seen the suffering you have been through. He said, why would he allow you to go through all those months and, and, and now up to a couple years of that struggle and suffering? And, and I think the Lord just, I think the Lord just spoke through Cindy. And she looked at him and she said, I have a question for you. She said, why are you here? He said, I'm here because you and I have been through a lot in the last two years. And she said, well, that's why my God allowed this two years in my life, because you know what? He and I have grown so close over these last two years. There's something that happens in the struggle. There's something that happens in, in the hardship. Unless we become bitter, unless we turn away from God, if we'll turn towards Christ, it will draw us into life with Him. And God will use those difficulties in our lives. So, these hard things in life, they point us to Jesus, they draw us into life with Jesus, and here's the last one. These realities point us towards the return of Jesus. Towards a return. Romans 8 is one of the, I think, one of the most important passages in the Bible in terms of your perspective on life. And here's verses 22 to 25. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. You know, we have a lot of pains in our lives. This says that it's equating the kind of groaning that this is to having children. Now, there are probably maybe a few pains worse than that, but if you were going to pick a pain that was really severe, I think childbirth would be one of them. And so, he says, all of creation is groaning like the kind of pain you have in childbirth. And then he says this, and not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit. We have the very 
Holy Spirit in our lives, notice, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons of redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. This is just such an important truth. Uh, to face this reality. Scott Peck writes this in his book, The Road Less Difficult. He says, there is a great truth, one of the greatest truths, and it is a great truth because once we see it, we transcend it. Once we truly know that life is difficult, once we truly understand and accept that, then life no longer becomes difficult. Because once it has been accepted, the fact that life is difficult no longer matters. Most do not fully see this truth that life is difficult. Instead, they moan more or less incessantly, noisily, or subtly about the enormity of their problems, their burdens, their difficulties, as, as if life were generally easy or as, life, as if life should be easy. They voice their, un, their belief noisily and subtly that their difficulties represent a unique kind of affliction that should not be and that has somehow been visited upon them or their family or their class or nation or race or species and not upon others. I know about this moaning because I have done my share. Here's the truth. That you and I live with a groan. Even we who have the first fruits of the Holy Spirit in our lives, there is a groaning. And so on every level, every level we say, you know what, something's missing. I mean, I got a, I got a good marriage, but you know what, it's just, something seems like it's missing. You know, I got my job, I really like my job, but something's just missing. Something's just missing. And, and we see that there's this groaning that we, we live with in our lives. And if we're not willing to accept the groan, then we're forever, we're forever pursuing all kinds of things trying to figure out how to get rid of it. You know what the best way to deal with the groan is according to this passage? It's to allow those groans, those hard realities, to, to point you to hope, to point you to the return to Christ. And so you get up and you're going through a difficult time, and, and, and those are the days when you should, you, know, you should be thinking about what God has in store. You should be thinking about what God has ahead. It says all of creation is looking forward to the day when we are, our adoption is complete. It's like we've got the papers, we're children of God, but, you know, we haven't been brought to his house yet, but we're on our way, and the day's coming. And because of that, even though life is hard, we have this hope within us. This hope is that he is with us and that nothing in all creation can ever separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. The picture is a, a bride waiting for the groom. We've gotten the letters, we reread them every day, and, you know, the wedding's coming up. We're going to actually meet him. We're actually going to, to see him face to face. And so this morning, I just want to boil this down to, to simply this, that when, when life is hard and it forces you to look up and say, Why? 
allow it to point you to Jesus, allow it to draw you into inviting Christ to come and walk through that experience with you and, and minister to you in the middle of that experience. And, and remember his words, because this is a promise. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. And I will take you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. Father, I, I just thank you for this truth. I'm also reminded of, of the prayer that you prayed right before you left. John 17. And you prayed to the Father, Lord Jesus, and you said, I cannot wait for the day when these my people will see me in all of my glory and they will see all of the inheritance that is theirs in Christ. And so, Father, might we allow, might we allow the, the difficulties of life to draw us to you and to strengthen our hope. Father, I pray that for everyone here in this room today. I pray this in, in Jesus' name. Amen.